0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's found on page 1824. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Jessica. We come to the end of Ephesians. For those of you who have been around this fall and winter, this is our our 10th message on the book of Ephesians uh, in the last stretch. We have walked through it and spent a lot of time with Paul and with the church in Ephesus. This passage, in many ways, gives little glimpses or reminders back over the whole story of the book of Ephesians, and, and we're not going to read through all of Ephesians just to make sure we understand every little reference that's in this passage, but it is a loaded passage that goes back again and again to things that Paul has said, uh, even, even the example at the end of when he's saying, pray for me that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It goes back to chapter 1 where he talked about the mystery of God's will, and the mystery of God's will being that in Jesus Christ, God is uniting all things in heaven and on earth. And so you hear throughout this passage, Paul saying to the Ephesians, finally, let me just summarize everything. That's essentially what he's doing. But he starts with a, a command to us. I don't know if you heard the command, but it's, it's a command that has some biblical echoes to it. Uh, you could hear in this the time when when the people of Israel were about to enter the promised land and Moses knew he was going to die and and Joshua was going to take over and Moses says to Joshua be strong and courageous in the Lord and they're about to enter the promised land and and Moses isn't going to go with he's not going to be there with them and so Moses is saying to Joshua as you lead this people be strong and courageous in the Lord Trust the Lord. Look to the Lord. Lean on him. And and you hear again, just as Joshua gets into the promised land, and he says, he meets this this angel, this warrior, that he's not sure who it is, and he says, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? He says, neither. I'm here as a captain, the, the leader of God's army. I'm here as God's army speaking to you, and here's my word to you, Joshua, be strong and courageous in the Lord. Paul does the same thing. He's saying to the church of Ephesus as he's wrapping this letter up, I'm not going to be with you forever. In fact, I'm I'm not going to be able to continue coaching you and leading you, and, and I want you to know I want you to turn not to me and not to your other leaders. I, I want you to hear clearly. Trust in the Lord. Be strong and courageous in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This actually has an echo earlier in the letter that's important for us to hear again. We might ask, what is God's strength and mighty power? Be strong and in the Lord and in his mighty power. You hear this come up uh, in chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Verses 18 is talking about how Paul wants the people uh, to have their hearts opened up and enlightened so they might see God's love the, uh, and the glorious inheritance he has for God's people. But then he says this, that you might, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, So God's great power, and he wants to explain it, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What Paul was saying there is that, that God's mighty power, that be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, he's going back and saying, the strength is not in you. The strength you need to go on, living this life that I've been describing for you throughout this power, doesn't rest in you. It's in the Lord. And it is a strength that the world cannot compare to. Nothing in the world can compare to the strength that is in the Lord. The strength that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, that is the beginning and the end of the story for Paul. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The greatest enemy we have is no longer, no longer the final word on our lives. We are no longer doomed simply to death, to die, and that be the end of the story. For in God, Jesus Christ raises people from the dead. Jesus Christ gives us that eternal life, that new life, wrapped in God's mighty power. For a moment... I want us to pause and, and think about what that word might have meant to the people in Ephesus. Remember when we talked at the beginning that, that Ephesus was a city that was worshiping other gods, that was seeking out power wherever they could find, it, especially spiritual power. It, it talks about them burning thousands upon thousands of magical scrolls as the people came to Christ. If you read the story of of Paul in Ephesus in the book of Acts, that as the people came to Christ, they started giving up all these other magical powers and access to those powers and things they were trying to do to manipulate the gods. They were a people who were hungry for power. And Paul's saying to them once again, the power you crave and you seek, you will never find on your own because it doesn't rest in you or any magical formula. The power, the real power, the power over life and death is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Be strong in Him, not in your own ability to manipulate things. Be strong in Him, not in your own ability to access the spiritual realms. Be strong in Him and in his mighty power, his resurrection power. But there's another reason this passage would have been very powerful for them to hear, and that reminder to turn to Christ. There were people who were living on the front end of persecution. It was starting to come in to their lives, not just a a social persecution of, oh, those Christians, those people who are following that weird way, no, it was starting to become a physical persecution. The early signs of it that would then sweep for the next generation or two throughout the Roman Empire against Christians. And Paul is saying to them as they're anticipating that physical persecution which would cost some of them their lives, take hope. Be of good courage. God's already overcome the worst that the government an enemy can come against you with. Do not fear the death and the trials and the persecution that is to come. Be strong. Trust in the Lord. There was an article went around this past week or two weeks ago about the number of persecutions of martyrdoms in the world against Christians and it was it was a a huge number I forget the exact number but it was it was in the thousands of people this past year who were deliberately killed because they were Christians we've been seeing it in the news with Isis over the past year and a bit now with beheading Christians Specifically looking for Christians, going door to door at times in some of the villages that they've entered, and dragging people out and saying, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if you do, you are dead. So, this word is not just a word for an ancient people, it is a word for God's people today. And the face of the persecution that we experience in the world be strong. Not in ourselves. Not because we have the courage to do it on our own, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power who could raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Ultimately, that is our hope. That is our strength. That is what gives us the ability to live day to day. It is because God has already raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul continues, he talks about this courage, but then says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And in the verses that follow, he describes two schemes of the devil. Two schemes. The first is this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. It's not against flesh and blood. And blood. I don't know how many of you are paying attention to the political conversation in the States. Yeah? A few people. I'm an American citizen, I tend to pay attention to it a little bit. And I've been disgusted by some of the things I'm hearing. My heart breaks over what I'm hearing, and there's part of me, there's part of me that wants to lash out and say, What? What is he doing? And, and you want to be critical to the person. Donald Trump's one of them. <laughs> I see you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, yesterday at Dork College, he at one point in his talk, he was at Dork College, which is affiliated with the Reformed tradition, started by folks in the CRC. And at one point he said, I'm so popular. I could go and murder somebody on the streets of Manhattan and my followers wouldn't leave me. And my heart broke. My first response is, I want, I want to lash out at him. I want to call him names. I want to say stuff that I probably shouldn't say. And then I read this text. The battle's not against flesh and blood. It's actually not against Donald Trump. But it's against the powers and the principalities, the things he's espousing, the fear of neighbor and foreigner, uh, the way we speak about others and the way we speak about ourselves, the pride and the arrogance. Those are the things that are in the culture that we are being called. Those are part of the, the devil schemes that Paul is naming and saying these things should not be. And when we take our stand against the devil's schemes, what we are fighting against is not the individual people. In fact, we should pray for those who act as our enemies. But what we are fighting against is the ideas and the ways they structure the world to divide and tear people apart. Remember one of the themes that has come up all the way through this book of Ephesians? It's the unity of God's people, it's the work in Christ's death to tear apart those dividing walls of hostility, to unite people who have been separated from each other, to allow people to come together as one and see each other as equals before God in Jesus Christ because we all bear his image. God's word is one that calls us to unity, to love one another, even those who are different from us and to speak against those things in the world which seek to divide and tear people apart. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against those things that seek to divide the unity of God's people and not just the unity of God's people, but the unity of all people who have been created in God's image. That's one of the devil's scheme, and we're called to stand against it come back to that word stand in a moment the second of the devil's schemes enters in and the second scheme the second scheme is described this way the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms we got to remember the cosmology or the way the world at that time was understood to exist there was the highest heaven the place where the, the supreme God would live. And then there was the heavenly realms, the places where the angels and the demons and the, the things like greed and lust and, and anger all operated. Remember during that time of confession this morning, we, we read that passage that said, get rid of all rage and malice and anger. It's, it's those things that operated here in the heavenly realms. They were in that space somewhere between our physical world and, and the gods in the Greek mind. And, and Paul speaking in there and saying that, that middle place, get rid of those things that destroy. We are at war with those things. Because Christ was at war with them. Christ was fighting to get rid of those things. So don't harbor them in your hearts anymore. Don't take rage in and let it be part of you. Resist the rage. Stand against it. Resist the anger and the hatred and the jealousy. Seems to have a lot of application for us too. It's easy to point our fingers out there at the world at other people, right? And say, did you hear how bad they are? And we certainly get enough in the media, we could do that every day. But this wrestling with the spiritual realms, and resisting those things that are in the heavenly realms has to do with the attitudes of our own hearts and the spaces where we harbor anger and resentment and bitterness, where we turn our backs on our neighbors and we walk away from them. It's our attitudes. It's those things that cling to us and that we continue to do again and again and again. So the devil's schemes are being described by Paul in two ways. One, it's the big systems and structures and ideas that that create fear and division in our world. And it's the things we harbor in our heart that turn us against our neighbors and break down the unity that God so desires that he sent his only son to save us from. After describing that, Paul says it this way. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Do you get what he's trying to emphasize here? Three times in that passage and once earlier he uses the word stand. And he's using it to say stand your ground. Stand your ground. It's kind of like a a military scene, which is what he ends up describing next. A military scene where you see the enemy coming, and it's a full-on assault. And you're being told, take up your swords and your shields, get ready. The battle's coming to you. It's coming. It is certain. It is happening. Everybody, stand your ground. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. It's that type of thing. There is a, a definite... We are resisting a very real enemy. Stand. Remember, we're not doing this in our own power. That's where Paul started this passage. We're not doing this on our own strength. We're not rallying each other around and saying, We can do it, we can do it, we can do it. It's not the little, Yes, I can. It's not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, it's in the hope and the resurrection that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that we are able to stand. Stand. There's some baptismal vows that are, are used in other denominations and sometimes used in the CRC uh, where we, we say the words in, in being baptized, I renounce my sins or I renounce the ways of the devil and the ways of the world. It's a, I renounce these things. I want nothing to do with them anymore. But there is a second step that comes in. It's not simply renouncing them and saying, they're no good, I want nothing to do with them. It's taking an active stand to say, I'm also going to resist them, not only when they come in me, but when they show up in the world around me. I'm going to spend myself resisting these things because of Christ. There's a few things as Paul describes. How do we stand? And that's where the, where the armor of God it comes in. How do we actually do this? How do we stand? How do we resist the devil's scheming? And it comes out in this, this image of a warrior getting dressed for battle. Put on the belt of truth. For those of you who study Greek, I know the word belt isn't actually in there. It just says put truth around your waist truth around your waist. As we heard earlier in Ephesians, the word truth so often used is not simply uh, an idea of of let me tell you the factual truth. It has a more loaded meaning to that. It's a way of living as well. The Hebrew mindset that that Paul would have been operating in as well has, has closely associated with the word truth, the word troth it comes up in an old English word some of us may recognize, betrothed. It has to do with covenantal faithfulness, pledging ourselves to another. And this idea in this passage of of wrapping truth around us is not simply to say, say, find the factual truth. It includes that. But it's a bigger understanding. Wrap around you God's covenantal love. Wrap around you God's covenantal faithfulness. Recognize that that is the ultimate reality in the world. That God is faithful. That God has pledged himself to us in Jesus Christ. Hold that truth around you. Let that be what makes you secure. It goes on. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, You know, the interesting thing about that word righteousness, and we we touched on it a little bit here during the Advent season. The word righteousness has to do with someone who lives in the way of God. It has everything to do with how you treat your neighbor and the world around you. So that it reflects God's love and the reality of who God is. It comes up, the idea of Psalm 1, the person who is is rooted in God's word. and, And who who meditates on it day and night so that everything they do prospers. It's a fullness of life. And that righteousness is described of a number of people who end up laying down their lives for others or sacrificing themselves for others. So the breastplate of righteousness, that, that thing that protects our hearts, is acts of service, loving our neighbors going out and serving others. So take the truth, the covenantal truth that God is with us and and God has redeemed us in Jesus Christ that he holds on to us. And with that truth, begin to live in ways that you are loving your neighbors. In fact, you are doing the opposite of the devil's schemes. Instead of tearing apart, you're living in a way that builds up and draws together. He adds with that, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Seek peace. Seek unity. Uh, That passage in uh, Ephesians 5 that we had earlier in the service, follow God's example then. Look at how God lived in Jesus Christ. Look at what he did and, and, and imitate him. Take that good news, that mystery of the gospel, that that God is at work in Jesus Christ, reconciling all things in heaven and on earth, bringing them together, uniting them together. Take that gospel, that good news, and let that be what sets the course of your life. Let that be what guides your feet, the way you walk and live and move and have your being. God making all things united in Jesus Christ. Let that set the tone for how you speak and how you live. We resist the devil as well by taking the shield of faith. The shield being described here, it's a specific word. It's, it's one of those shields that went from the ground up. It's a big shield. It, it's the one where you see sometimes in the movies about the Roman time period where all the soldiers would go shoulder to shoulder next to each other and they'd put their, the front row would put their shields down and it would form this wall and the second row would come and they'd put their shields over top the first row and over themselves and then the third row would have the shield over top as well and they devised this way standing together as one with these shields protecting them starting to say, live out the unity. Those shields were never a shield just for one-on-one battle. Imagine how cumbersome that would be in a battle. And, And you're trying to swing a sword and manage this big. Those shields were a defensive posture that required others to be with you. To be in community. To say to each other, You look out for me, I'm looking out for you, I'm looking out for the next person, they're looking out, we're all looking out for each other. Remember the all y'alls? That's in this passage. The way we live in faith, our faith is not just our own, it's all of us together. Working together, leaning on each other, relying on each other. This idea of of how do we extinguish the devil's flames, it's by working together, reminding each other of God's love in Christ. And one last piece. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Put those things on. It calls us into those daily disciplines, being renewed in our minds God loves me. God loves you. God loves all of us. That helmet of salvation, remembering that it is in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, that we are saved from our sins. We are already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We have already been forgiven. Constantly remembering that, allowing our minds to be renewed by that. And the sword of the Spirit taking up the word of God. So it's not just something we hear on Sunday but it's something we carry with us all the time. Back to Psalm 1, it becomes something we meditate on day and night. It shows up in the way we live. So how do we do all this? It's a lot, isn't it? It's a loaded, loaded, loaded text. And Paul's trying to cram it all in at the end. And he comes back to this. There are two participles, kind of explanatory participles at the end here, and they both have to do with the word pray. So in all of this, pray. Pray, and, and pray prayers and, and petitions. All kinds of prayers and petitions. It, it doesn't matter what. If, if your only prayer is, Lord, save me, that's good enough. If your only prayer is, Ah! That's good enough. Pray with all types of prayer. Pray unceasingly. Pray in a way that brings you back into God's presence again and again, remembering that this battle is not ours. This battle is rooted in Christ Jesus and what God has already done in him. Pray, pray, pray. I don't know if you hear in that. It's actually Paul saying there's a whole new way to live, folks. Not with anger. Not with animosity. Not with jealousy or rage. Not with envy. Not trying to persuade others to think like us. There is a whole new way to live, and that is to pray. To seek God out to spend time in that posture of prayer. That becomes the defining characteristic of us resisting the devil's schemes. All these things, yes, we need to do. All these things of putting on the armor of God, but once we have the armor of God on, what do we do with it? What do we do with that armor? We pray. And Paul does something absolutely brilliant in this passage. He demotes himself. He takes away the hierarchy in this passage, essentially saying, I'm going to pray for you and you pray for me. Let's pray for each other. Let's let's spend ourselves praying for each other so that in the end, the mystery of the gospel might be made known so that the mystery of God's love in Jesus Christ might be made known. As we resist the devil, we do so by praying for each other. Praying for each other. A simple suggestion. One that I've been working on myself this past year. Take a pastorate. we distribute pastorate lists each uh, one, about four months. Is that right, Janice? I don't know if Janice is even here this morning. Is that right? About every four months, we distribute it to the whole congregation. We put a list out of everybody who's involved in one of our pastorates. People who aren't members are in pastorates. That's okay. And we, we wrap everybody in. Take one pastorate a week and just pray through that pastorate during the week. It's not saying pray for the whole congregation every morning before you get up and have breakfast. I'm not saying that. Just take one pastorate a week. Pray for that pastorate. Pray for the elder and deacon who are involved with it, the the other people. Just go through the list. And you may not know what to pray for specifically. You may simply look at the list and go, I don't even know who that person is. Pray for them and pray for an opportunity to meet them. But pray for them. In the next week, pick up the next pastorate and go through the next pastorate. As we begin to do this type of practice, we will learn together what it is to resist the devil's schemes and to stand together, not on our own strength, not even on our combined strength, but to stand together in the strength of the Lord and in his mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, your word is loaded with so much good stuff. We can only start to describe it here. We, we have a hard time of even understanding all of it. And sometimes it feels so overwhelming. We thank you for this simple ending to all of this this simple call to say pray for one another pray for each other Lord help us to do that help us to start there to to remember you are good and you are faithful to, to trust that your commands to us to live with generosity and love towards our neighbor to trust that all those things are good and in that to engage this simple practice of praying for one another. As we do, may you show us how to resist the devil day to day, both in our own hearts and in our lives, and in the world around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.